run, Kelly, run. <laughs> All right, James chapter 4, if you're not there already, um, you can make your way there. You can scan that little QR code thing, and that'll bring you right there. We always want you to have your copy of Scripture opened um, with you, whether it be us old-fashioned folk who like the paper, or if you are using your device, either way, we just want you to be where we are in Scripture. You can see that what I am saying is actually coming from God's Word and not just out of my very, very dusty brain. Um, be sorely disappointed. Let me, let me begin this fine morning by saying, Happy Father's Day. All right. I will be honest, um, if you've been going to church for any period of time, when it gets to Mother's Day, well, let me, let me give you a little, I'll give you a little behind the scenes for you, okay? First, highest attended service of the year, usually Christmas, followed very closely by Easter, and then Mother's Day. Father's Day is somewhere around here. <laughs> Just saying. But part of the reason, I think, is because historically in churches, what happens on Mother's Day, the moms come in and a guy gets up there and he's like, moms, let me talk to you for a minute. Just keep going. We love you. Oh, we're so thankful for you. And then Father's Day, it's, what's wrong with you guys? Get it together. And so I think that might be why a lot of dads don't come to church on Father's Day. So <laughs> I, I don't want to do that this morning. This morning, I want to let you know, if you are a dad, we, we see you. Um, we hear you. We appreciate you. For those of you who have kids at home right now and are in the thick of the race, keep on, brother. Spoken as a fellow who just watched his youngest graduate from high school. Praise God. It's, it goes fast. It goes. And there's a lot of ups and downs. But your presence in their lives is, it, it, it can't be replaced. Um, there's, there's men in our church who I, I love watching from a distance. These are guys who have stepped into the role of a father figure for somebody, whether that be um, as a stepdad or um, as a granddad or an uncle or just a foster dad who just shows up and says, I'm, I'm going to walk this life with you because your dad's not around. Man, we applaud you. Uh, that's a gift. Yeah, okay, yeah. And that's the, that's the gospel, right? And then every, every special day that pops up on our calendar always brings with it um, there's the good, but there's also the, the difficult, right? So there's certainly men and women even sitting in this room uh, who Father's Day brings up a certain amount of angst in their hearts, and they, it causes grieving. And so for you, let me encourage you to look to the perfect Father who is not on earth. <laughs> it's the one who's in heaven. And see his love for you. And be reminded of this, and I almost went there with some of the message today, but I'm not, so I'll just get a freebie thrown in here right now. <laughs> Be reminded that our Father in Heaven loves you, and even more earth-shattering than that, He likes you. Hmm. Um, there's a group of guys in this room as well who are just longing for the day they can become fathers. Lots of reasons for that. To you, my brother, let me say this. Keep doing what's right, one foot in front of the other. And reap, even better than your desire to be a dad, reap the smile of God. It's priceless and precious. And uh, 
God will give you the gift that is perfect for you and that you would choose for yourself if you had all the knowledge that God has. Um, spoiler alert, you don't. Just, just That'll come up in a few minutes too. But. So dads, love you. Glad you're here. Glad to be one of you. Glad to be one of you. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for our dads. Thanks for those who are in the thick of the battle. I pray that you would uh, rejuvenate them, that you would give them creativity in their parenting. I pray that they would um, just find those moments being present with their child or children, that, that just being reminded of how important that is. God, may they be present. Put away the phones, put away the work, but instead just be present with these precious gifts you've given to them. And then, Father, for, may they have the wisdom and the knowledge to love those children the best way they possibly can, and without a doubt, that is by loving their mama. So God, I pray that they, these men would pour into their wives and love them well. I pray for those men who have stepped up into the roles of dad who really aren't dads, but we are so incredibly grateful for them because that is a perfect picture of what the gospel is. So thank you for them showing up. For those who might be in the room who are grieving right now, the loss of their father, or maybe the loss of a dream, the loss of a relationship that they wish they would have had but never did get to have. Father, I pray that you would comfort them in this moment, that you would cause their eyes to fall on you, knowing that you, in fact, are there for them and are never going to abandon them. Then for those who are waiting patiently to be a daddy, I pray that you would give them, I do pray that you would give them the desire of their heart. If, if, if that is what you desire for them, God, I pray that you would knock down all the obstacles, but otherwise I pray that they would find their fulfillment, that they would find their all in all in serving and loving and knowing you better. So help us as a church, help me as a pastor, know how to encourage these men wherever they are in this parenting journey. Lord, we commit our time to you, and we ask that you would move among us. It's in Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, thanks for being here Father's Day yet again. I'll try not to yell at the dads. I will yell at the moms just to even it out. How's that? <laughs> it's usually not a good strategy to come into the day with. I'm just going to yell at all the moms and see what happens. That's going to end badly. All right, so uh, just to get you talking a little bit, I'm going to have you share it with the person next to you. I'm going to ask this question very specifically. Please don't answer a different question because, in fact, you can end up complaining if you answer this question in the way that I'm not asking it. So instead, just answer the question the way I'm asking it. You ready? What is the worst gift you have ever given not been given. That leads to a complaining spirit, and uh, we preached about that last week. We'd be hypocrites. We didn't talk about that one, okay? We talk about what is the worst gift, upon further review, <laughs> that you have given to somebody and you thought, that wasn't good. All right, talk amongst yourselves just for about 30 seconds. What, what's the worst gift that you have, have given? Go for it.
You know what I love about this is I love watching. I can tell who you gave the gift to just by the look on their face. It's pretty cool. So um, a number of years ago, um, okay, let me back up. This is actually going to as, as you may not be aware, <laughs> I'm a fella who struggles just a little bit to stay on task. I tend to, like, explode in different directions all at once. And, and so um, in the history of my schooling, of, of both um, getting my college degree and then my master's degree and then all the work that I've done up until this point, I've had to try to figure out ways to master the wandering soul that I am. Okay, I've had to figure out how to tame the squirrel, as it were, right? And so trying to figure out ways to tame the squirrel, I've come up with a lot of different things. Some of them stick, some of them don't stick. I, I am, so Tuesdays, this is completely free, but whatever. So Tuesdays are my day out of the office where I spend the entire day studying on that coming Sunday. I do other studying during the week, but Tuesdays, that specific day. So in order to stay organized, to stay on point, um, I lay out time stamps for my projects. I've got s just all these check boxes that I need to do in certain order. I follow this technique. You may or may not have ever heard this. It's called the Pomodoro Technique. What that does for me is it keeps me on track. It sets a little alarm that goes off at intervals. So that way, when I'm sitting there and I'm studying, I'm like, vapor, vapor. And I start to study vapor. Like a good pastor, I use my pencil and I stare into space. But as a modern pastor, that quickly leads to YouTube, vapor, and before you know it, I'm watching things blow up for 20 minutes. And so then when the alarm goes, ding, I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to be studying. That's right. Um, so a little peek behind the curtain. Um, Calendar-wise, calendar-wise, I can be a complete train wreck because of that. So I've had to come up with, and some of you have experienced that in your time here. I apologize yet again. Uh, I have found a way, and I don't understand. I have found a way to, to, to quadruple book myself at times. Um, I can't be in two places at once, so let's try four. Good idea. Um, so I'm trying to get that under control. I have found a cloud-based solution that has been wonderful. Uh, it helps uh, schedule if I stick to it. Um, but okay, all of that to say this. You know where that all began in college? It all began with me one day making the best purchase of my entire life. I bought a day timer. Oh yeah, old school day timer. Uh-huh, this thing was thick. And I just went through and I organized my entire life. Every class I was in, all the reading I had to do, all the projects I had to accomplish, what I had to do for my ministry position while I was in college, laying all these different things out. And as I was doing this, I'm like, yeah, this is what I need right here, a routine, a rhythm that has helped me. This is amazing. Yes, I have found the answer. You know who else struggles to stay on task? Yeah, my wife, Stephanie. So, uh-huh. So um, being cut from the same fabric, I thought, I know what will solve all of her problems. Yep, so I bought her a day timer. Because nothing says romantic like telling your wife she's a disorganized mess and only you can help. Um, it went very differently in my head than what actually happened. We talk about this often. No clue where that day timer ended up. I think it was burned very, very quickly. <laughs> Um, the reality, though, is, is I had to plan every minute. That's kind of how I have to do it. I have to plan. Now, that may not be true for you, but every single one of us needs to make some sort of plan or plans in order to accomplish the things that God's placed in front of us. So, so, so making plans isn't wrong. In fact, when you go through Scripture, to make plans is often commanded or, or commended. Um, Proverbs 26 talks about how you prepare all your work outside and then you get everything ready for yourself in the field and then after that you go and build your house. So there's steps to do before you start the building. Luke chapter 14 says, 
um, if you want to build a tower, which one of you is, is, isn't, is, 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 which one of you doesn't sit down and consider your budget before you start destruction and then start construction? No, you need to have that budget in place before you start the building. So, so making plans is a biblical concept. So when we read our text this morning, what we know that James is not saying don't make plans, but hear it one more time, and so that way you understand what it is he's saying. In verse 13, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. We are, you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, and then it vanishes. So James is not saying don't make plans at all. What James is saying is in all of your planning, keep in mind that you have no idea what tomorrow holds. You have absolutely no idea what tomorrow holds. How many of you have a plan for tomorrow already? Raise your hand. This isn't me saying, oh, sin, sin. I'm, that's what I'm doing, sorry. <laughs> me too. I got a plan for tomorrow. One of the things I've learned and I've tried to embrace is that because I have things planned for tomorrow, the only thing I can be certain of is that plan will not happen. There are things that exercise outside of my control all the time. You talk about weather issues or traffic issues or, or health issues or something just comes up, a conversation runs longer than you expected or, God forbid, the coffee machine isn't working. Well, then all plans are off, right? I mean, we're not going to even try that. That doesn't make any sense. That's just tempting our sanctification. Let's just take a vacation day, okay? So, but we all make those plans. I'm a rabid planner. You can ask anybody in my family to my shame when it comes to vacation, I, I struggle with planning. Not, I don't do any of it. It's, I do all of it. A lot of it. To the place where I suck the fun right out of vacation. Beautiful, it's wonderful. And then, then what happens is if the plan doesn't go the way that I envisioned it going, I become this sore loser. And, 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 and actually that leads really well to the next thing that I think James is saying. Not only do you need to embrace the fact that while you're making your plans, you have no idea what tomorrow holds, but you also have to embrace the fact that you're not the point. Have you heard that before? It seems like over the last four weeks, James just keeps saying over and over again, you're not the point, you're not the point, you're not the point, you're not the point. So whoever in here needs to hear that, hear it now so we can move on, please. Maybe it's me, I don't know. I just, James just keeps saying, it's, it's, you're not the point. You're, in this grand scheme of everything, you're just a vapor. You're just a mist. You're, um, you're just a poof. That's it, gone. That's your life. You are a poof. Now this poof smells like the hospital. Some of you have poofs that don't smell like the hospital. Um, but you're still a poof. <laughs> um, Here's the problem. Sorry, it's Father's Day. I'm allowed to joke like that. Come on. <laughs> but the problem that James has is you're, you're making all these plans, and you're investing all of this energy and effort into that. And it's so insignificant. You forget that's, that you are an eternal being who will soon be with their Savior. And you'll spend all of eternity with him. And yet you're obsessing over that. You know, okay, here, let me give you some pictures. That's a lot like a football coach who spends the entire off season 
recruiting other coaches, going out making huge, lavish financial offers to other coaches to, to join his, his coaching team, and then sitting down and game planning for, for, for 18 hours a day, and then going and making sure that he sees all of the new uh, draft pro- prospects, and then making sure he drafts exactly the right way. And then he goes and he signs the perfect free agents, and he brings them in, and he game plans and and spends every preseason practice, and then every regular season practice, leading up to the game on the first drive, offensively. And that's it. Never touches defense, special teams. Never talks about a two-minute drill. Spends all of his time on that opening drive. Man, I'll tell you what, that opening drive is like none other, but they can't win a game to save their soul, because they've spent no time on what comes after. It's like the baseball manager who manages his plan perfectly for that first inning but can't make it out of the second inning without bringing in a third, fourth, or fifth pitcher. It's the, it's the crew chief for the Daytona 500 who pulls together his plan and says, we got tires on the car, we don't need any more. 40 laps, we'll be fine. Well, in case you were wondering, that's only 100 miles of the Daytona 500 miles. You got 400 more miles to go, you're in trouble. But every single one of us is guilty of doing those things. We, we live for the poof. That, that's your opening drive. That's your first inning. That, that's your first 40 laps. Today, tomorrow, I don't know. I'm going to go to such and such a city. Uh, we're going to spend a year there. We're going to do business. We'll make a profit. Okay, cool, cool. That's your plan. Opening drive, first inning, first 40 laps. That's your plan. Now, where's the rest of it? Where's the rest of your plan? Where's the important part? What James is saying in this very familiar but often misunderstood passage is this. You are guilty in making all of your plans and living vehemently for the poof. You are guilty of forgetting God. How in the world do we forget God? Well, that's the central premise to the book of James, isn't it? He says, guys, listen, you've got to understand something. When people look at you, they see your life. Your faith is showing. So, 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 so oftentimes what happens is your life becomes a statement for your theology. What you do communicates what you actually believe. And what you are doing right now is behaving and living in such a way that you have totally forgotten God. You are communicating that God is, in fact, not that important to you. Prophet Jeremiah gives us a picture of this. He says in Jeremiah chapter 2, young women don't forget their jewelry, do they? And brides, they don't show up without their veils, do they? Now, a little jump out of here, but I I was a singles pastor for 10, 11 years. Uh, uh, Occupational hazard of being a singles pastor is a lot of weddings. I've done a lot of weddings in 20-something years of ministry. And you know what's never happened? I've never been doing the actual ceremony, watched the bride and her dad walk down that aisle with the quivering lip and the dad trying to be as stoic as he can, but there's no way he's going to hold it together. And they get to the front, and the dad brings the, the bride to the front. He stands between the bride and the groom just before we do the I do's to start the ceremony. And, and as I'm getting ready to begin, the bride's like, oh, I forgot my veil. Never happened. And I bet you it'll never happen. You know why? It's an important accoutrement to the rest of the ensemble. 
I mean, come on, you take this seriously on your wedding day. It's too important. There is no way you're going to forget it because it's so very important. Jeremiah's point exactly. Young women don't forget their jewelry, do they? Brides don't show up without their veils, do they? But my people forget me. Day after day after day. They never give me a thought. So you remember what is important to you. But when you make your plans for today or tomorrow, such and such a city, be there for about a year, do business, make a profit, when you walk through all of those plans and you never incorporate God into your plans, what you are saying is God's not that important to you. Please don't hear me say this, okay? Or, or let me do it the positive way. Hear me say this. Don't hear me say that. <laughs> Make your plans, absolutely. That's the right thing to do. You should be planning. Plan for school, plan for college, plan for a spouse, plan for your kids, plan for your home, your house, your career, your retirement. You should, you should plan for all of those things. But as you make those plans and you lay them out, my friend, keep them held loosely. Keep them held loosely because, first of all, you don't know what tomorrow holds. And second, because you're not the point. In fact, your point should be God, I, I want to do whatever it is you want me to do today. Not, not, man, i got to figure out my, my life story. I'm 17 years old. i got to know what college I'm going to, what major I'm going to have, when I'm going to get married, how many kids I'm going to own. Own, that's not right. <laughs> Oops, how many kids you're going to have, uh, what house you're going to own, where you're going to own your house. Uh, you, you don't need to have that all figured out at 17. You know what you need to do? Whatever makes God happy. Now, here's, here's where it gets obnoxious and weird. Um, verse 14, you don't know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, or like a little vapor. I'm sorry, verse 15. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Um, so, so what James is saying here, Frank, is that the key to making my plans is to tack on this quaint little saying, well, my plan is to go to Northland Baptist Bible College, if the Lord wills. And if I do that, with every appointment that I schedule, every goal that I set, every path that I get ready to, to head down, I mean, if all I have to do is just say, well, if the Lord wills, then I'm all set. Cool. Now, here, if, if, if saying, you know, God willing or if the Lord wills isn't fancy enough for you, because you seem to be fancy people, let me hook you up. I'm going to give you a little Latin. You can say it in the Latin, Deo Valente. Deo Valente means God willing. Listen, tacking on a saying, a trite little comment, I'm going to be very harsh, so please bear with me. That's voodoo, black magic. That's a mantra. Okay, I'll give you a technical term. It's gobbledygook. Because what you are actually doing in that moment is you are taking the Lord's name in vain. Oh, man, we have all kinds of imagination as to what that commandment means when it says don't take the Lord's name in vain. Oh, I don't say those naughty words. Taking the Lord's name in vain means to use it in an empty or careless way. Now, let me, let me tell you, if you're in a conversation with somebody and you're talking about plans, and it really comes to mind, 
that this is only going to happen if God desires it to happen. So, so then, by all means, acknowledging the sovereignty of God in that moment is not taking God's name in vain. You're like, you know what? This is what we are planning on doing in five years if the Lord wills. That's, that's our desire, our intent, and we're going to pursue him, and if God wants it, that's what we're going to do. That's all fine and good, but that's not why you say that phrase 95% of the time in Christian circles. You say that phrase 95% of the time in Christian circles is because what you're trying to do is put a spiritual sprinkle on top of your otherwise selfish plans and goals and desires. And what you're trying to do by saying, well, if the Lord wills, you know, I'm going to buy a new car, Lord willing. Okay, what you're trying to do is say, my selfish and, 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 and self-advancing an arrogant plan, I'm going to sprinkle a little spirituality on there, so I'm going to co-opt God's name so that I get what I want. If that's not using the Lord's name in vain, I don't know what is. If the Lord wills. When, when James is saying that you, you, instead you should say these things. If the Lord wills, we're going to live and do this or that. He's not saying those are the phrases you need to use. What he's saying is if, if the Lord wills you to do something, you're going to do it. He's not talking about the daily choices of your life. I had a roommate in college who used to pray what socks he should wear every day. I had a prayer too. Lord, please let it be clean ones today. Just today, that'd be cool. But that's not what he's, not, what should I have for breakfast, Lord? What should I have for dinner, Lord? Where should I go after work? No, 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 no. He's not talking about that. He's also not saying, you know, this is the big decisions in life, work, school, marriage. It's, it, what James is saying is make sure that you consider what God, God wants of us in the poof. Because even though that's our life is just a poof, you're more than just the poof. So, Jesus um, gathers all these people together, Luke 11, Luke 12. He's teaching them, talking to them. It's fascinating because as Jesus sits, the crowds gather, and there's so many of them this time. That there's so many people trying to gather as close to him as they can get so they can hear him because they didn't have microphones back then, right? So they're trying to get as near to him as possible. You see that all the way through the Gospels, but in this situation it says the people were, were, were crawling on top of each other trying to get closer to Jesus. I mean, you're talking about crowd control. That's crazy. And Jesus takes advantage of every opportunity that he is given, and he begins to, to teach, and he's, he's just kind of doing a grab bag of different things and, and throwing different topics out at them and making sure that they are paying attention to him, and he's, he's pointing them to the Father. He's pointing them to, um, to, to, to all the things that the Father has done for them. He's pointing them to uh, the, the reality of greed. He's pointing them to all these different things. And, and in the middle of the teaching, it's, it's almost as if a guy way in the back who can't actually hear Jesus teaching, okay, shouts out at the top of his lungs, Teacher! Could you order my brother to give me my share of the inheritance? Now, as you can imagine, if somebody behind you shouts that over the top of you to the guy who's trying to speak and teach, there's probably some murmuring that happens in that middle section. You're like, what is that guy talking about? And, and if the Jesus replies to him, he says, I'm sorry, mister, um, uh, who made me the judge and mediator in that case? And then it says he begins to speak to the people. So you get this moment where Jesus answers the fella, and then he looks at the people, and, and, and I can't prove this at all, so we'll move over here to the opinion land. That This has become opinion land on the stage. Part of me wonders if Jesus didn't look up at the people 
and realized, man, they locked into that dude's question because they're all like, yeah, he should get what's his. Jesus says, you know, it reminds me of a story. This farmer, and he has a banger of a year. I mean, the harvest just won't stop coming in. He's already filled his barns to the top. There's piles waiting to get stored, and he's looking at the barns. He's like, man, I I have never had a year like this. This is amazing. I am wealthy for life. Um, What am I going to do? What? What am I? I know what I'm going to do. I'm I'm going to tear all my barns down. I'm going to build twice the size, and I'm going to take all of this excess, and I'm going to stuff it in the barns. And when it's there, (laughs) I get to sit back, Look at the incredible harvest that is now mine. Take a load off. Get a nice cold beverage. And say, you've done well. Way to go. Now it's your time. Retirement. You can do whatever you want. That's the dream, isn't it? That's the dream. Oh. It would be, be amazing, wouldn't it, just to be like, well, God, I'm sorry. I have, I have to confess. I have too much money. Lord, um, I, I, have, I have way too much energy today, Lord. I have too much free time, Lord. Would you? I get to sit back and relax and just enjoy the fruits of my labor. And, and you can almost see the crowd like, oh, that's a good farmer, huh? That farmer has hit the jackpot. That is what every farmer dreams about. Yeah, take it easy and have the time of your life. And then Jesus continues his story. At that moment, God showed up. And he said to that farmer, you fool. Tonight you die. Barns are full. Cool. You worked really hard filling up those barns. But now who gets it? See, see, the problem is that you and I, we live so aggressively for the poof and forget that one day we are going to stand before God, our creator, our redeemer, and then we are going to be in his presence for all of eternity. So every single one of our plans, all of our goals, all have to be about putting a smile on the face of God. Your greatest concerns in life have to be about him, not about you. It's got to be about his desire, about his will. And, and, and it can't get complicated. Don't allow it to be complicated. We're like, what is God's will? I just need to know what God's will is. And I put it in the email this week. I am not kidding. That was the most popular conversation I had with those college kids while I served in that college ministry. What am I going to do? I need to know God's will. And, and what you got to do is, is understand how that phrase is used. And maybe, maybe, maybe a story from our family will, will help you a little bit. My kids, when they were growing up, they're all in the house, all little. Um, we had a set of rules for when we went and God would bless us and allow us to go out to a restaurant for dinner or lunch. We had something called the restaurant rules. And I am, I am not lying. We would pull into the parking spot at the restaurant and you could hear all the seatbelts click, 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 click. And I'm like, okay, deep breath. We can do this. We can do this. 
all right, restaurant rules. What are the restaurant rules? And they would just start firing restaurant rules, some of which I never came up with, but we applied them anyway. Because what the rule basic, I'll try that again, the basis of the restaurant rules is this. We don't behave in restaurants like we do at our home dinner table. So what that means is we don't throw rolls at each other. If a salad is presented to us on the table, use the utensils, not your hands. Right? No bodily noises. And that applies to a lot of different things. Um, no standing on your seats. Napkins. Why don't you try using one for a change? Uh, the whole idea is this. Not, okay, not, I know how you normally behave. Not today. Not today. This is, this is the restaurant. Dad, out of the goodness of his heart, did not leave you at home and take mom out. You're here with us. So what dad wills is good behavior. It's what I want. It's what I desire. What I want today is for us to go in, eat a nice meal, leave, and have the people at the restaurant who are left behind not think those people are Neanderthals. I would much rather them not think of us at all. That'd be a win too. Those are my expectations for my children. What are God's expectations for his children? What does God expect of you? What has he commanded of you? What has he told you that you must do? Not, not, not what his mom and dad told you you're supposed to do, not what your neighbors have told you, not what other people think you're supposed to do, not what your husband or wife expects you to do, but what has God told you very clearly that he expects of you. I know it's a little late in the message to be interacting with y'all. I promise I'll keep it, in, it within reason, but I want you to answer that question. What, what is it that God expects of us? What are some of the things that God has commanded of us that we are supposed to obey? Go ahead, shout it out. I'll see if I can't write it down. Love God, share the gospel. Others, I heard. Neighbor, grace. Let me name, was that the neighbor one? Study the Bible. Forgive. Love and mercy. Love God most, love others best. Love mercy, do justice, walk humbly, share the gospel, study the Bible, forgive other people, live in such a way that makes Jesus more famous than you. Fix your eyes on Christ, worship with enthusiasm as you share grace with other people. That's what God expects of you. Okay, but what about, what about the job? What if I want to take another job? Oh, stop, stop, stop. Okay, hold on. If you need to take another job, take a job that's going to allow you to be more faithful in pursuing obedience of God. There you go. But I've got four options. Okay. Which one's going to make it easier for you to obey God? All four? I think God's going to be okay with you making a decision on your own on that one. I don't think you need some crazy lady to walk up to you in food line and be like, take the third one. Because you're going to be like, what are you talking about? The job. God has arrived and told me in a dream you should take the third job. And you're like, I'll tell you what job I'm not taking. 
But what school should I go to? What school is going to allow you to relentlessly pursue the obedience of God? Who should I marry? What person in my life is going to further push me to relentlessly pursue the obedience of God? I think, I think we overcomplicate this sometimes. Listen to it that way. This is what you should say. This is how you should live. If this is what God desires for you, then live that way. Do this, do that. But as it is, you boast in your own arrogant plans. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Don't miss verse 17. That ties in. It is sin to know good and not do it. So you all just confessed. You know the good you're supposed to be doing. It's the expectations that God has for his children. James does not say the one who is in deliberate disobedience does the exact opposite of what is expected of him. Well, that's sin. No, 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 no. Do you know what you're supposed to do? Are you doing it? If that answer is no, you're in sin. That's the will of God. We get so wrapped up in this here and now, the poof. We go hard after our possessions and our plans and our goals and our accomplishments and we forget that our life really does just last as long as that does. We forget. We forget that God bought us with a price. Not not with silver, not with gold, but with the precious blood of his son Jesus Christ. And so it's there, and with that in mind, that we are supposed to glorify God with our entire being. So, are you all in on making this the shiniest and fanciest poof you can possibly make? Or have you seen it for what it is? A tool, a vessel an opportunity to put a smile on the face of your God. The one who knows what good to do but doesn't do it, to him it is sin. He's given us much. The least we can do is give him our all. Father, thanks for your word, the preciousness of it, the reminders we find in it. Thank you that we don't already have it all figured out. And so we can continue to have conversations. We can continue to wrestle with your spirit. We can continue to study it. And in so doing, we can make you happy. Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us to be consistent people who are relentlessly pursuing obedience today. I pray that our best attempts would put a smile on your face. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified, that your name would be more famous than the name of any person here or the name of this church. And may the name of Jesus ring off this hill today. For it's in his matchless name I pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us as we close our time together?